Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy, your favorite co-host. I mean, we're technically both co-hosts. I don't know why I introduced myself like that. I, <laughs> You're the host, Daniel. I'm the co-host. Oh. <laughs> you, you, you do the recording. You do the a lot of the legwork. You, you've earned the title. I dub you the host. Speaking of someone who's earned the title, that guy is Daryl Morey, the president of basketball operations. The the most important president of anything is Daryl Morey right now. And that yeah, is Yeah, um there there might be some some news helicopters you hear in the background as we're recording this here on Thursday morning uh while I'm in Philadelphia. There's uh, obviously I can only imagine they're all trying to get a shot of Daryl Morey emerging from some breakfast with Josh Harris and Elton Brand. I can't imagine why anyone else would be tuned into Philadelphia right now. Yeah, I, I, I know it's it's weird, but uh, that's yeah. Sixers basketball, baby. People are excited. <laughs> oh man! But uh, earlier this week on Monday, I believe Daryl Morey had his they had his initial press conference, which was also like streamed live over social media. So, like I know I was watching over Twitter. Were you watching like over something like that? Yeah, I, I tuned in. The I caught a bit of it over the Sixers uh, Twitter account. Um, I did I did have the login information, so I, I could have joined, but I had some personal stuff going on. I, I wasn't able to catch the whole thing. I, I kind of re-caught up later on when I had a chance to catch the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, so it was like they had four of them on the stage, and the four being Daryl Morey, Elton Brand, Doc Rivers, and Josh Harris. Um, Daryl received, obviously, the largest portion of questions I'd probably say the next most was like Josh Harris then and Elton some way then because they've already been asking questions about Doc. I don't think there were too many questions with him. Yeah, Doc already had his introductory press conference. So he was included more like, hey, how are you going to work together with Daryl in this new front office? And they're, you know, they have a prior relationship from their Boston days. So, yeah. No, every time, every time Daryl talked, I just ended up liking him more. It's just... It feels so good to know that the Sixers are being run by a guy I feel like I totally trust. And he's saying all the right things that I believe about basketball. Um, one of my favorites just that they ask him, oh, what do you think about the Sixers being this team that def- isn't like set up to go with the way analytics thinks about basketball? And immediately Daryl says, well, analytics isn't about, isn't about just shooting threes. It's about winning. It's about using what you have in the most efficient way possible. It's just so good. It is. Yeah, it's and I'm, I'm sure we'll dive into this more, but just in relation to Joel and people wonder, oh, well, how's he going to fit into the the whole Morio ball thing? And him saying, like, if I I always told people in Houston, if I had Shaq, then I would just give Shaq the ball on the post 100 times a game because that's it's not that that's the worst way to play basketball if you have somebody that's incredibly efficient scoring in that way. And he said, Joel's a guy that is an efficient post-up player. So that's not something that's going to erase from whatever offensive mindset we have. Um, and, he, and he also pointed out like, hey, listen, Doc Rivers is going to be the one that determines what the offense is that's run. I'm, I'm going to communicate with him and we're going to try to put a roster together that will be able to execute whatever his best vision is for the team. So it, yeah, just a bunch of encouraging stuff. And uh, my, my overall takeaway was I wish I could have just been tell, like transported to this press conference three months ago 
<laughs> and and kind of eliminated all the angst and pessimism that came about as the weeks went on and it seemed like that there was nothing happening with the front office so just imagine at, at the season ended and everyone you know people liked brett but people basically had an idea that brett was gonna going to be out um but say hey we're gonna have daryl moray leading the front office and we're gonna have doc rivers as as the head coach and i think that would have alleviated a lot of anxiety for sixers fans I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, both, both of them, especially more of Daryl, the fact that it did take some time from for them to for Doc to be fired by the Clippers and then Daryl to be to decide he wanted to leave the Rockets. So it's it is hard for the Sixers to go out and get Daryl when they didn't know he'd be available till like a few weeks ago. But I also like what you mentioned there about him uh, just with talking about Joel Embiid being such an efficient post up player led the league in points per possessions on post up last year at one point one two it was which is basically Joel basically was one of the few players in the league where it actually makes sense to post him up because their offense is still good enough Nikola Jokic is another one I believe Towns was like up there and Zach Lowe said on one of his podcasts the other week that uh just any Sixers possession in general that featured a Joel post up averaged like 1.2 something points per possession and just an idea obviously it'd probably go down if you did it a hundred times in a game but if you ran that, just a, that would mean on average, Joel Embiid post up is like, quote, the most efficient offense in basketball, just because 1.2 points per possession. Once you're in that range, it's really ridiculous. Like the only guys above that were like Lakers possessions where they feature LeBron post up, which is like 1.5 because, you know, LeBron's insane. But <laughs> no, I. It's just I've such- heard that. Yeah, Le- LeBron good at basketball. I think that's a narrative. <laughs> that po- I mean, he won the title this year, so that you know there was a narrative popped up about that. So, yeah, crazy narratives out there. But uh, <laughs> no, it just it feels really good. I, I think it was uh, Tyler Monahan for us wrote about a piece earlier this week about how it just feels so. It just feels so good after years of being this past year being so pessimistic about the Sixers from like. I remember I thought it started changing that first home loss to the Miami Heat where they were 20 and 8 and from there they basically played like 500 basketball. They that was when we had like the huge road losing streak where the Sixers just couldn't do anything when they weren't at the Wells Fargo Center. Yeah, and, the just and, the overall road performance oh, yeah. through, throughout the season was just incredibly discouraging. Um and and that it's fun you know funnily enough that kind of led into the once the bubble entered play like oh well the Sixers won't have to play road games now maybe maybe this worked to their advantage and then PJ Warren dropped 53 on their heads and we were immediately like oh my gosh let's just stop playing basketball we were we were so I just remember the whole Liberty Ballers like slack after the TJ Warren game was like we're just done like there's you could tell that there was no coming back from that yeah it uh I'm glad we've like I'm you know we'll we'll talk about this but I'm glad we're uh six weeks away from the start of a new season and we can kind of uh, forget about everything that happened in the bubble Sixers related. I don't know if most of the players are glad we're only six games away from the start of a new season. Uh, I, although I will say, I mean, obviously some of the players I think are in favor of the earlier start dates. Like the way the financial, I, I'm no CBA expert, but the way I think, I believe from what I've heard of it works is that a lot of the, lesser paid players probably like below like the mid-level rate are probably in favor of starting earlier because it means they can keep more of that money and they're 
well, they have a, obviously making millions of dollars. They're make a lot more than most of us do. And they, that's a pr- lot of money. They're still, they're not making like LeBron James, Steph Curry, over 40 million a year kind of money where you can kind of afford to just not make some of that. It's like, they kind of really want to make their money now while they can. For sure. Um, yeah. So we're, you know, we're kind of talking about it now. So just to recap in case people didn't hear, yeah. uh, looks like a December 22nd start to the season with a December 1st training camp start date and then three preseason games before the season regular season gets underway on the 22nd. Um, the seems like the players association and the league reached an agreement on that proposal yesterday. And it looks like the union will vote to ratify that agreement and move forward. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I think it's, there's definitely different groups of players. I think, the Lakers and Heat, yeah, don't obviously. don't especially want the season to get started right now. But you know, there's about a quarter of a league that hasn't played since March, so I'm sure they're you know all geared up to go whenever they could probably yeah, the, be happy to take the floor this to this week if they you know I mean I'm sure they have to ramp up and everything, but they they'd be happy to get back to playing basketball. Is my point? Um, yeah, and then you know the rest of the teams, the bubble ended for a lot of them a, a few months ago. So it's, it's not like they didn't, they wouldn't have any turnaround time. They've, they've had a little bit of time off. So, and yeah, that's, there's obviously big financial ramifications about starting in December versus, you know, in early 2021. And they're already the players. I mean, they're already giving up a percentage looks like 18% in escrow money, which means that the, that portion of their salary is deferred and they'll get it back only if the league meets the revenue goals that it, mm-hmm. it needs to meet, which, you know, there's still a pandemic going on. None of these, we don't know when fans are going to be allowed into arenas. So everything's uncertain with that. So yeah, players, especially non-stars that, you know, make what we would consider a lot of money, but, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things and, the player salary scale, those guys that don't really make that much. Yeah. They need to get back on the court and, you know, start earning that there's salaries again. So um, yeah, I think, I think the vast majority of players are are, are either ambivalent or excited to be back on the court. um, What looks like six weeks from now. I'm glad you explained how the escrow works because I had like some stuff written down, but I mean, Heck, I'm taking my first econ course in college right now. I I, I didn't want, want to try and go through that and properly explain it. And you did you did it very well because like people were confused seeing those numbers where I think it was Bobby Marks tweeted out because of the escrow. Like, so that means like Steph's money for this year is brought down, like in terms of what he's guaranteed to get, is brought down from 43 million to 35 million. Uh, there were other numbers like that. For some reason, that one just sticks in my head. Yeah, that was the one that Marks, uh, you know, used that as a as an example. Um, we should mention that typically, you know, even in normal years, about ten percent of players' money yeah. goes into escrow. It's mm-hmm. just that, you know, year after year, not only does the NBA meet its revenue goals, but it usually has pretty substantial growth. So it's oh, yeah. just never, it's never really a factor for people because it's kind of taken as a a certainty that that's going to happen, and they they're like, yeah, they just defer 10% of their money by about a year. And that's just, you know, the cost of doing business and, mm-hmm. and part of the, the NBA 
contract at, at kind of the boilerplate contract. Um, mm -hmm. But increasing that amount and the increased uncertainty about league revenues, given everything that's going on in the world, it's, you know, it's definitely a risk. And it was something that uh, the players association and the league had to come to a compromise on. And it looks like they have. Yeah. It turns out that it reminds me of when Adam Silver back at the start of this said, yeah, there's nothing written into our like contracts or CBAs about a pandemic. So things are going to be messed up, which they clearly, clearly are. Um, I actually think in a weird way, the the 72 game season and early start date, you can make an argument it helps the Sixers in that of the of those top 16 teams, the fact that they went home so early, the Sixers probably have had a decent amount of rest time just thinking it's basically right at the end of August, start of September, and then to December, which is not that much shorter, I think, than a regular offseason for them. And they, so the Sixers... I don't think it hurts them that much. Obviously, like you said, the Heat and the Lakers are the ones that this really hurts just in terms of it's like two months off and then you're back at it. And nearly the same thing for the Celtics and the Nuggets and even teams that were knocked out just before that that went to seven games like the Raptors or the Clippers. Those teams obviously probably not as in favor of this. But I think, of course – we spend too much time as a fan base talking ourselves into the Sixers being like having reasons why they should be the team. We were all kind of talking ourselves into it going into the bubble, but I mean, I could see a scenario where you think like the Sixers of the teams that are good, they, they have enough time to rest. They should come back fully ready. Now, just because the Sixers should come back ready doesn't mean they will. They clearly have not come back ready to some other situations before, but do you, do you have any thoughts on that, Sean, about maybe this kind of earlier start date could benefit the Sixers in some ways? No, I don't. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to buy into that narrative again. Uh, I think <laughs> Fair any, any turnaround for the Sixers is going to have to be because uh, Daryl Morey rearranges the roster and does something to make it a more cohesive unit um i think that's going to be the main source of improvement not whatever rest advantage you want to give to them versus other contenders because they played one to two fewer rounds in the playoffs a couple months ago uh yeah, yeah I don't, I, I'm, I'm not buying that one <laughs> no, i was just throwing it out there <laughs> man it, although you you shot me down right there but you did not shoot me down as hard as during the press conference when Howard Eskin asked Daryl, do you think you need to trade like some of your key pieces on this team to, in order to get them to win? And I can't remember the exact response, but basically Daryl looked around, didn't really know what to answer. And then said like, do I have to like you Howard to some extent? Do I, yeah. It, I can't uh, that, remember exactly. That, I went down. Yeah, that was good. Um, I, I, I wonder if, uh, you know, Howard is obviously the father of Spike Eskin, who yeah. is the popular Royce Ricky Sanchez podcast and had Daryl on the podcast not too long ago. So I wonder if uh, Spike texted Daryl and said, hey, uh, give give my dad a little flack. It, it'll go over <laughs> really well around here. <laughs> it, and the, the good thing about it, too, is it doesn't seem mean natured like that. Howard did not like take offense to it. Howard thought it was funny, too. That's at least what the vibe I got. Yeah, I mean, we we as a Sixers and Philadelphia sports fan base give Howard a lot of grief and he's kind of like a punching bag sometimes, but he, he does have a good sense of humor and he, he does kind of take these things in stride. And uh, 
So to his credit. It was Kyle Newbeck of the Philly Voice who then he the day after he said he watched the presser again. And then you can see when Daryl says that he's laughing, Josh Harris is laughing, Elton is laughing really hard. Doc Rivers is just like stone faced, does not react at all. Just kept like the whole press conference, Doc just had like the same focused look on his face the whole time, which I, I found that to be really funny too. Yeah, Doc, you know, Daryl had whatever experience he had, you know, being on the podcast with uh, Spike and Mike and also being a close friend of Sam's who had the deal with the Philadelphia media for years here. And so I'm sure he's well aware of how that operates and the, the overall vibe of both the media and the fan base here in the city. And then Josh and Elton have gone through it for years. So they're, they're on top of things. Doc, Doc might need a little bit of a, uh, a runway before he's fully comfortable with uh, how things work here for, yeah. <laughs> for Philadelphia sports fans. Now Doc, Doc will be always be a good presser quote though. I think he's in the past, he's had some really good sound bites and also some really important stuff too, that doesn't just pertain to basketball. Um, yeah but... yeah he's definitely he's definitely great with the media oh, and yeah. he's a very fr- friendly and outgoing person as well as being someone of high character and moral mm-hmm. integrity for you know things both in and out of the world of sports um i just mean like more of the inane kind of like random humorous stuff yeah <laughs> that might not be his particular wheelhouse um uh, but yeah we'll see it'll you know it'll be fun Mm-hmm. did you get anything from the press conference about how it just felt like again they mentioned ben simmons sometimes but it was clearly more that i think joel Embiid was mentioned much more often we saw the picture afterwards of daryl facetiming uh joel on like right after the press conference there's Embiid's been tweeting out support for like the new head coach assistant coach signing of dan burke I'm just wondering, do you take anything away from the fact that there's been a lot more mentions of Joel than Ben lately, which I obviously I'm not saying, oh, they're going to trade Ben, like just because they haven't mentioned him as much. But we like said in the past, like we weren't sure if the franchise like was thinking more about what to do to help Ben, what to do to help Joel. Is there like a difference between helping both of them at the same time and who you're prioritizing? Does it feel like in a way they're prioritizing Joel? Slightly. Um, That's kind yeah, of too. Yeah. And I think if you took a straw poll, more people would say that Embiid is the quote unquote 1A star and Ben would be the 1B star of this team. So I, I think that that would be appropriate in that sense. Um, I would, you know, Daryl did mention, he said Joel and Ben a lot. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm looking forward to growing this with Joel and Ben when you have two stars like Joel and Ben, like that's a great thing to build off of as a foundation. He, he said all that stuff. So it's not like Ben was ignored. Um, Joel definitely came up more, but I think that was just speaking to the fact that Joel's a center and Morey was coming from Houston mm-hmm. where they didn't play with a center. So there was a lot of questions like, oh, how are you going to fit Joel into your scheme? Um, is is this something that can work with what you want to do analytically and as in, in your sense of how basketball should be run? So I think I think that's just where that came from, where Embiid's name came up a lot more. I think that was the reason more so than like, hey, Joel's a much more important player than Ben. I think, you know, he might think that ever so slightly, but I think he does 
view it and you know said to this effect that Joel and Ben are both the two cornerstones of the team and we're going to build forward with those two guys do, do you think that I'm surprised I wasn't asked at some point um that they only they think they only have two stars according to their press conference how come Tobias Harris is getting paid like one <laughs> <laughs> I mean it would have uh, hard to ask that on on cue but man just it's like ben, El- that- Elton was on the call, so I don't know if you, <laughs> I don't know if you could do that. That's a, with that's the- a good point. <laughs> no, uh, speaking of Elton, though, um, I mean, everyone seems to be back all in on Elton and the Sixers fan base. We seem fine with him being basically, it seems like the number two guy under Daryl. And the what the report is that the Sixers are saying that Elton basically pushed them to go get Daryl if he's available. We should try and get Daryl Morey can really help this franchise and being almost okay with Daryl Morey taking like the spot over him, which I don't know if that's true. That's what they're saying. If it is true. And Elton basically said, I'm not fully equipped for this and we need Daryl to kind of run the show. I think that just shows how great of a guy Elton is. Cause that, that is hard to have that much humility and like self-awareness that maybe even this is a job that's very complicated and he basically got thrown into it with almost zero experience right away and just realizing what you need. If that, I, again, not sure if that's true, what they're telling us, but if it is, I think it just shows how great of a guy Elton is and that it's incredible to have that kind of like, to know that you can need that and be willing to admit it. Definitely. Um, yeah. Daryl said that Elton and Josh and, the ownership group like reached out immediately when mm-hmm. he and the Rockets parted ways, and he, he used the word the word relentless a few times to describe their pursuit of him because it, it seemed like he was you know kind of telling the truth when he said he wanted to step away from basketball mm-hmm. for a little bit, and his family definitely wanted to him to do so based on you know what he said during the press conference. Um, so, yeah, I think that that speaks a lot to Elton if, you know, they're saying it and Daryl saying it, that he played a big part in them going after Daryl and convincing him to come to Philadelphia. So I, I think that's great. And if, uh, yeah, I think people should be happy that Elton's still around because I think slotting him in as the number two guy definitely works more towards his strengths. Like he's an individual that has good standing in the league, both with mm-hmm. other executives and as a former player that's what was well respected around the league and a guy that younger guys can look to as a, you know, he's a, was he the number one overall pick in the draft? Yes. In yeah, two, yeah. I want to say in 2000 or 1990, maybe it was the 1999 draft because it was the Bulls got the number one pick the year after Michael Jordan retired for the second time. And then Elton was their first overall pick. Okay. Yeah, I thought so. Just wanted to confirm that. So yeah, he's a guy that was the first overall pick in the draft, had a long career in the league as, you know, an all-star player at his peak. Um, And that's a guy that you can send to a lot of meetings and will receive a good reception and will help you recruit and retain talent. So you want a guy like that in the organization. So if the biggest concern was that he was over his head because he wasn't ready well now he can continue to learn and grow and develop and you have daryl who's been in the league for decades now and he was just the head man of a 
organization that had a tremendous amount of success for 13 years. So there's no one better for Elton to, to learn under. And in a sense, they kind of complement each other. Daryl is, you know, the analytics nerd, yeah. how, you know, how he's perceived and Elton's the former player. And I think those kind of different skill sets will complement each other and only help the organization. So um, yeah, good for, for Elton, for, you know, if, if that's true, as everyone says, for being humble enough to say, hey, Daryl is a guy that will help this organization. And even if it means that I won't have the control that I would if we didn't pursue him, we should. Um, I, yeah, that definitely speaks to his character a great deal. And I think the, uh, the organization, you know, recognized that. And I, I think that's why they were still willing to move forward with giving him the contract extension that they did. Yeah, and I get the sense that they are telling the truth just from this, just because if they weren't, Elton would have every right to be really upset if they basically told him, hey, you're the guy. Then they go out inside Maury without basically consulting him or basically just do it without like his acceptance of that kind of, hey, you're going to be the number two. Then Daryl, I mean, Elton would have every right to say, hey guys, what the heck? You told me I'd be the number one, but it does seem like he's, all on board with the current plan which is just it's really great to see and El- i mean he just comes off as such a nice guy in all the press conferences it's such a really it's just it feels nice to root for him instead of like when we've kind of even though we're not sure if he's been the head voice or the lead decision maker on all the moves the past two years based on just how much was going on in that front office it feels good to really know that this guy who we all generally like really is someone we can <laughs> we're not going to be questioning anymore because maybe bad contracts were handed out or things like that. Yeah. He was definitely the scapegoat of sorts mm-hmm. for the, the Horford and Harris signings. And, you know, I'm not saying he shouldn't have been given those are, are bad signings that are still on the books and will have to be, you know, worked around. Um, but I think moving forward, we can kind of feel better about Elton. And yeah, he is a guy that people like, which is part of the reason, probably a big part of the reason he got the job in the first place. So uh, yeah, it's it's just a much more, everything everything kind of feels better now that Daryl Morey is in place as, as the number yes. one guy. And this, this know, just positive, up, up and down the organization. This is a positive podcast now. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an overall panacea for Philadelphia Sixers. <laughs> franchise basketball you know speaking of other guys that people like uh pe- some people like James Harden including the Sixers to Sham Sarania and I'm sure I mean that's what kind of made it official news is when Shams tweeted out that the Sixers have interest in James Harden but as like a lot of people made fun of like everyone should have interest in James Harden it's James Harden he's one of the five depending on what you think at least like at the very least, one of the 10 best players in the league, much closer to top five, in my opinion. And you just have to, if that guy has had, if there's any chance that guy ever becomes available, you obviously show interest. Probably the much more realistic one is the recently reported news that Drew Holiday could be on the move, that the Pelicans might be looking into something like that. Obviously, this whole process got started off when Sam Hinkie on draft night 2013, traded Drew Holiday for Nerland's Noel with some other machinations like moving around there. So wouldn't it be poetic in a way if the after starting the process all those years ago, 
Sam Hinkie's mentor, Daryl, trades back for Drew Holiday. I, I tried to think of ways it could work. I, I couldn't come up with any good trades that I would see. I couldn't figure out any reasons as why the Pelicans would trade him for what the Sixers had to offer. No, yeah. It, I don't see that happening. They don't have the the intermediary contracts to kind of make it work. That New Orleans isn't good. Favorite is the only one. Yeah, and, and he's a free agent after this year, so why like yeah drew holiday is a better player than josh richardson so why would they downgrade from a player perspective for for one year if if they're serious about contention um you know which are not contention but you know making the playoffs and you know seeing what they can do when they get there uh you would want drew over josh and then if that's not the route they're going and they and they want to like keep building assets and draft capital and if in a move that sends drew out then sixers don't have that so it just i I don't see them as a trade partner if if holiday does get end up getting moved i think there's plenty of other places that would better fit what new orleans would look for yeah one destination i heard that sounded a lot more likely was actually indiana where the pacers could get all three holidays along with all (laughs) along with all three tjs that would be there, amazing. There's some, there's some fun <laughs> things about Indiana. I mean, they 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 likewise the Sixers do not have a great end of the year, but there's some aesthetically pleasing things about just looking up and down the names of Indiana's roster. <laughs> I I hadn't quite put that together. So now that you've said it, I really hope it happens. Yeah, that, I know, would, right? that would be amazing. Um, yeah, if you're not if you're not going to be the group of you know five six teams that really have a chance to win the title then just be really quirky that and that would be really quirky so do it indiana they, they have always been like that i remember during the because i think i went back when the last dance was going on i was watching a lot of old michael jordan games you know back when we were just all scrounging for any kind of entertainment at all i, I remember those days yes watching game seven of the ni- 1998 eastern conference finals the pacers had like four white forwards who were all had shaved heads they had all shaved their head i'm like i was wondering was this like a bet they lost did they just think it'd be they'd all look cool and it was so like and this just wasn't like shaved but like some hair growing back no it was like they were all looked completely bald at that point and just like glowing heads and i the pacers have some weird gimmicks throughout their their history decent franchise though i mean speaking of having brothers and similar names on the team they had the davis brothers the pacers those 90s pacers so yeah they they have a long history of this so go back to your roots pacers do it unfortunately they probably can't do the three tj the best they could get is having tj mcconnell tj warren then the three holidays where you play justin holiday at center because as tony east told us two weeks ago tj leaf will be in europe in a year which, oh, I thought you were going to say it was because New Orleans would demand TJ Leaf in any Drew Holiday trade. <laughs> he, he's the key. He played. The, he was good at UCLA with Lonzo. Yeah, you got it. And uh, and they're getting rid of Drew, who's you know, he's he was, a he was the UCLA guy, right? He was he was the guy who was the in the infamous Lavar Ball comment when arguing for Lonzo's draft stock said, "Look at how good UCLA was, and their second best player was a white guy." I think was the quote. Oh yeah, and but wasn't no, he wasn't he one of the guys that was with uh, him when they did the sunglass like incident over in in Asia? 
Oh, man, I don't, I don't know actually. <laughs> yeah, um, this is this is a lo- this is a long time ago. Both in, uh, yeah, okay. you know, 20, I, 2020 I, has been a long year, and yeah, <laughs> at anything pre twenty twenty feels like it was uh, written in stone tablets or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, but no, I it's just as much fun as it would be for the Sixers to trade from those guys, and obviously, like. If the Rockets, okay, so just hypothetically, if the Rockets said James Harden for Ben Simmons, what would you say as, so let's say you're Daryl Morey and you get that call from, who's running things there now? I'm blanking on the name. Who's the Rockets' new, like, head of operations there? Raphael Stone, I believe. That sounds right, yeah. I'll uh, I'll look that up while you keep talking. So he calls you up. You're now Daryl Morey. You are now making over $10 per year accordingly <laughs> and you get a call saying just james harden for ben simmons we'll do it right here if you say yes what are, what is your reaction uh i mean i think you have to do it right i would it's that's the one because the thing when we always talk about these ben simmons like one for one trades like it was the thing about the ben simmons for bradley beal trade we never wanted to pull the trigger because it feels like you're selling low on ben it feels Bradley Beal is just not as good of an overall basketball player and Ben as Ben Simmons, at least in our estimation. It's debatable where Harden is clearly just better than Ben Simmons right now. Yeah, Harden's you know a top eight player, you know wherever you want to slot him in, and he and Joel would give you one of the best tandems in the league. Like you could stack that up uh, yeah. against LeBron, AD, Kawhi, Paul George, you know there's only a handful of tandems that would be that good. Like, so that instantly vaults you into contender status. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're in a situation where you're saying Joel is, Joel's the guy you're going to build around. We don't know how he's going to age both because he has an injury history and because centers typically don't age well. So we have like a three to five year window maybe where we kind of have to maximize our level of contention while we have Joel Harden instantly does that. He instantly does that for you. Um, mm-hmm. so, I, so yeah, I, 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 I like Ben obviously, and he is not his contract. If you compare it to Harden's is much more reasonable and mm-hmm. he's younger and there's still a ceiling that can be unlocked that isn't there with Harden because he's already, he's, you know, in his prime, maybe a little, slightly entering his post-prime period yeah. uh so yeah it's it's tough to do that but i think you would have to i mean i think it'd be if if, if you're just doing a one-for-one one and saying we're going to give you a top eight player i think you have to do it i have two just small counters to and i'm not i think i still might even do the trade but here is like the argument for keeping ben simmons i have two main points the first being that when we talk about like Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid's fit limiting each other. I feel like when you're when we talk about giving each one of them their own team, Ben be, having his own team is gives sparks more curiosity, more interest than Joel having his own team because it's probably going to look like the same thing of Joel, which is just have good shooters around him. He's going to be post up, be awesome. People are really interested. I think like when just hearing other people talk about how much they might want to trade for Ben Simmons because they just imagine in theory. You basically make Ben your point center. You have four shooters running around him at all times. And then, I don't know, just let it go. Like, why can't Ben at least do what Bam Adebayo did for the Heat this past year, where 
really switching out on every guard off every pick and roll, being awesome on defense and then orchestrating things. And then he can do more stuff with the ball in his hands just from just due to his handles and stuff like that. So I think that's one thing is that the Rockets, that's probably why they would do is because they think, hey, maybe we just figure something out here and we could have, look, be looking at a like top 10 player in a few years that we've reset everything. And then the other argument would be one against Harden, which as great as he is, I, I think about this a lot, the difference between floor raisers and ceiling raisers. And the best example is it's a, the argument between J- James Harden and Draymond Green, which is like you put you take four random guys off the street and put them with James Harden and they'll still be a top 10 offense in the NBA. Because that's basically what Harden is with all the way he plays, just threes, free throws, getting to the rim at will, hitting guys for open threes. And you just can basically guarantee, yeah, they're going to be a good offense because of that. They'll yeah, probably you, win. you just need guys that can hit corner threes at that's a 38% clip. And they can play decent enough defense and you'll still probably win a series. The, there's a reason the Rockets have for the last eight years have been pretty much a guarantee at the very least like 50 and 32 record every year. But the problem is I'm not sure how much better the Rockets get if you put really great players around them because I don't think Harden changes his style that much or that. And that could be a product of just them going all in on that kind of what they were believing in there back in Houston that kind of lent itself to Harden maybe being less adaptable. Cause I think the playoffs have shown us that adaptability really matters. That was basically the heat's whole thing is that they could, the reason they gave the bucks and the Celtics such problems that they just, they can morph into whatever they needed to in order to counter what the other team was doing. I'm not sure how much that ha- has. And I just don't know how much Harden elevates the level of play of other guys around you. If he's always have the ball in his hands. Whereas my comparison to a ceiling raiser like Draymond Green, who you watched it this year with the Warriors, you took the all-stars off the team. Draymond was not good this year and could not make those guys better. It was really ugly. And obviously he had some injuries and they basically at some point punted on that season, understandably. But the whole thing of Draymond is you put him with other all-stars, other great players, and suddenly Draymond is this like ferocious weapon that becomes like the third best player on your team and is just awesome all the time, locking everything down on defense, being an incredible passer in so many situations, one of the smartest players in the NBA. And it's hard to say which one of those is more valuable. Obviously, like the floor raiser feels like it's more valuable all the time until you get to those situations where you're at the very top of the league, which should be the goal is to be a team with multiple stars that has a chance at winning the title in which I think it is good to have those kind of ceiling raisers that basically just can take your play up a level and makes even make can make already great players even better when they're put around them. Does that all make sense? It makes sense for sure. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely arguments. There's reasons why you would prefer Simmons to Harden in certain aspects of his game, for sure. Like you could say the Sixers need guys to stop opposing perimeter offensive weapons and Simmons is their best option and losing that would definitely hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, there's, there's definitely a list of things you could tick off that you would lose by doing the Simmons to Harden swap. But I, I think you just have to look at the big picture and say Harden's the better player. And that if, if, if you're looking at it where you say, Hey, we have a, fairly limited window for maximizing our contention. I, 
I, I think most people would agree that Harden elevates your contention level status, whatever you want to call it, more than having Simmons on the team does. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's an argument can't be made for both sides. I, I just think you would have to do it. Um, regard, I mean, regardless, it's all a moot point because there's no indication yeah. the Rockets want to trade Harden. So, yeah, and uh, no, I still think, and also there's these trades are not all just what makes your team better. There are some like just as a fan, it's probably hard for me, us to discuss this because we are we are attached to Ben in some ways, and we're definitely attached to Joel after having to go through those years of tanking, enduring the losses, waiting patiently, the fact that these were the two guys, these were the two, like, you know, Sam Hinkie's whole philosophy was the draft is a crapshoot, so it's best to get as many swings at it as you can to get those stars you want. And basically of the four years, they really, really went all in on tanking. These were the four, like, quote, these were, these were the two out of four home runs they hit. So, you know, just like, I think Joel is a little more attached to the city's identity. I think and a part of that's also because since Ben doesn't shoot, there's this like, this starts this like, oh, you see it on Instagram, all the memes like, oh, Ben doesn't shoot. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do this. Whereas Joel probably doesn't receive as much as that criticism, which is not a good thing. But, you know, I think you know what I'm saying, that Joel and B just was a little more attached to the city, but both of them are, they're well liked in the city, I think, even after the disappointing season, just because these are basically the two guys now after and after like the 15 years prior the Sixers not or the Sixers kind of middling following the I guess it would be 12 years prior the Sixers middling in contention following the 2001 finals these were supposed to be the two guys who are supposed to be lead us back to being a contending championship team so uh in regard to you know yeah bet bet Ben gets the he doesn't shoot threes thing. I think Joel's version of that would be his conditioning. Obviously, yeah. And and, and people kind of get on him and like I, more, I remember the the, the, the the Shake Shack thing. Like oh, someone yeah. someone saw him get a burger at Shake Shack and there was like talk radio discussion for three days that he doesn't take his diet seriously. Um so yeah, Joel, that's like his version of the threes thing as far as like the criticism he gets. Um, obviously one is more, I mean, condition, conditioning is important with Joel, but I think the threes thing is much more impactful in terms of actual basketball than the stuff that gets talked about with Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's certainly some, we went through this, this whole process and years of losing and Ben is one of the things we had to show for it. And there's certainly attachment in that regard, but if you, you were to spin it that, hey, we went through years of losing and it got us the ability to trade for James Harden. I think I think people would, you know, be perfectly okay with that. Uh, so, I mean, it's, I mean, this is all a philosophical, philosophical yeah. discussion. So this, this trade isn't happening. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And yeah, there's certainly a, I guess like an emotional equity you have to consider when you're talking about trading a team's like a team trading one of its stars, just because especially a guy you draft yourself and kind of go through the development with, but you know, it does happen. So I, I don't think we can ever discount the fact down the road that it could happen, but uh, in this instance, it's not. So do you think that, do you have any inclination as to whether 
because it doesn't seem like Joel's getting traded. It doesn't seem like Ben's getting traded. I don't think you can trade Tobias with that contract. Do you think Daryl's going to pull the trigger on the Al Horford on an Al Horford trade before the season starts? Because that's probably the the most likely one, the one we're probably all expecting, the most feasible. Do you think that will happen before the season starts? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, Tobias, his contract's terrible, but he's still a guy that slots in okay with all your yeah, other players. And, and he's still... We always have about Tobias. It's like, yeah, and he's still a great very... Guy, great guy, not a bad player, net positive on the court. Wish he made a lot less money per year. Wish he made $20 million a year instead of 34 or whatever it's at. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's no, there's no like... It's not like you're going to trade Tobias and then be like, hey, we have cap space now. We can do something else. Oh, yeah. So there's, there's no cap space. For us. Exactly. So there's really no urgency to trade Tobias, except if you're talking about, hey, this will help us two to three years down the road to have cap space. But the Sixers are in a situation where they want to contend this upcoming season. So mm-hmm. they're not worried about the two to three years from now, this would help our our cap sheet that's not really a priority for them whereas al there's diminishing returns because he plays the same position as joel and doesn't seem like the twin towers thing worked out last year and those two plus ben is completely unfeasible so there's kind of a cap on the amount of minutes he can even play and yeah al helps you by providing a a great backup center option for when joel needs to sit but given all that it's it's not as essential to your goal of winning this year to have al as it is tobias like tobias does more for you given the other pieces you have on the roster in the present than al does so if you want to kind of balance that versus also helping your cap sheet down the road then al's the guy that would get traded so I think, yeah, I think he'd be the the clear option for if Daryl's going to make a big move in the, I don't know, three weeks he'll have to do yeah. between the draft and the season actually starting with training camp. Um, it's going to be crazy. It's Yeah, it really is. So luckily, Daryl's, you know, a well-established executive in the league. He already knows everybody in the league. It's not like we're getting, we're having this first-time GM come in who doesn't have the contacts and like the relationships already with everyone in the league, Daryl can come in and just, he'll know who to call, who's available. Like he's already done all that legwork, which will be helpful. Um, So I, I, yeah, I definitely, I, I do foresee, I don't think Al Horford will be on the Sixers by the start of next season. You know, who would have been a good backup center? Rashawn Holmes. (laughs) That guy would have been nice. He would have been. Wonder why, wonder why they didn't have him. Oh, I mean, there's if, there's many things we could point to about Brian Colangelo's tenure. If it, I want the Sixers. The problem now is that Vlade Divac no longer runs the Kings, and I think Monty McNair is a pretty smart decision maker. And because that's the obvious one, we've talked about it a million times is the Al Horford Buddy Heald trade potential. Yeah. Well, the good thing is that Buddy Heald is not taking his coach's calls. Yeah. So. And theory, they, they say, like, the argument is that the most important thing for the Kings right now is teaching Marvin Bagley how to play defense so he can be a good center for them going forward. And Al Horford could theoretically teach him how to play defense. So that was one argument. And also that they want to keep Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's going to be up on the market like this, this free agency. 
and it doesn't really make sense to pay both Bogdan and Buddy when they're basically playing the same position and they don't usually they can't usually play on the court at the same time because they do a lot of the same stuff or at least they 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 usually have one of them as the sixth man and the other as a starter. Well, if anyone can uh, make it happen, I think Daryl Murray would be the the person that people would point to. So we're all pointing it, to you, Daryl. <laughs> Uh, so i think uh yeah that kind of just circles back to our original topic that things are just more optimistic here in philadelphia um and it's uh how things have changed in the last week and a half we are once a once the guys who said we might want to name our show the anti-sixers podcast we are we can confirm we are now firmly pro sixers again at least for the time being I'm sure that will change at some point during the regular season, as it always does. It oscillates a lot with the, that is the life of being a Sixers fan, of being a Philly sports fan. I, I did not feel very pro Eagles during that win over the Cowboys. I don't think anyone felt very pro Eagles in the whole world during that win over the Cowboys. Yeah, um, that, that is, yeah, it's definitely the kind of the ethos of being a Philadelphia sports fan. Um, Brian Grubb has this uh, tweet that he often retweets um basically the the point of it is a philly fan says man this team really sucks and then somebody who's not a philly fan says yeah they're they're really having a tough time now and then the philly fan goes what i can't believe you would say that about my beloved philadelphia sports team how dare you it's just we're we're the only ones that are allowed to uh you know rag on them and talk about how bad they are but god help you if you come at us and, and echo our sentiments because we will rain hellfire down upon you. It also what was it Kevin Clark of the ringer who covers the NFL has that one tweet. He always, he always sends out that the Seahawks have literally never played a normal football game. Yeah, There's something a... there, but the no Philly sports team has ever played a normal season. I, I think would be an ad, like an accurate statement. Yeah, for like, sure. Especially this, this last five years or so. Like, when's the last normal Sixer season you can remember? Uh, Doug Collins, I guess. So, like, 2012 or 2013. I 2012 was weird, too, because didn't they start, like, 10-3 and three and then almost completely gave up the eight seed but then beat the Bulls in the first round because Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah got hurt? Like, that was a weird season, too. Yeah, um... I, I like, I mean, it's... what I, It matters on what we define as normal. I'm just trying to think of a very normal Sixers season I really cannot remember one like probably one of those 06 through 09 Iggy years was kind of normal maybe so the 20 so you're talking about 2011 2012 that's when they reached the second round so I would say 2010 2011 they went exactly 41 and 41 they lost in the first round I, I would say that was just a normal season where okay. they were they were literally 500. They were just it's okay. Been a, it's been a decade since the last normal Sixer season. Yes, yeah, that's that's what I would uh, classify it as. Because it definitely wasn't any of the process years, and it definitely wasn't any of the last four years. Would it be? Would we consider the 2012-13 season when that was Doug Collins' well, last season and they won? That was the whole. Games? That was the whole Andrew Bynum saga. Oh yeah, true. Okay, so that definitely wasn't. <laughs> you cannot right. when you're <laughs> when the the player you traded every trade basically 
bought into as he's going to be the star who leads us to the Eastern Conference Finals, re-injures himself bowling. Yes. I don't think you can call that a, a normal no, you're right. basketball season. <laughs> I, I was just looking, I was looking at the uh, the basketball reference page year by year. So there wasn't the, uh, there wasn't a notes section talking that said, it just reminded me that was the Andrew Bynum year, but you're absolutely right. That so awesome. yeah, I'm going to say 2010, 2011. That was, that was the last normal Sixer season. That's, that was also the swaggy P in Philly season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not... Not, so, not normal. <laughs> normal Sixers season happens once every 10 years. Maybe it's next year. I would bet on it not being that way. I'm guessing you would bet that way too, Sean. Nope. Uh, I don't I don't see a normal Sixers season on the horizon anytime soon. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up here for us today. Uh, hopefully next week we'll be back finally with that mock draft podcast we promised before the Sixers completely changed everything again. Jackson Frank will be back on to help us with that. Then we'll have like the actual draft is this. So I'm really excited for the next few weeks. So, but yeah, just good show today, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Good talking to you. Um, looking forward to the, the mock draft pod. I'll, I'll be moderating that one. Unless Sam Hinkie goes back on his word and joins this rejoins the Sixers. Stay tuned. Who knows? There are yep. no normal, there are, there's no normal Sixers news. Not anymore. All right, Daniel, I'll talk to you next week. All right. See you, Sean.